So thank you all for coming back to the next installment of our journey through Hilkos Tila. Um, unfortunately, on the way here today, I heard that there was somebody from Beit Shemesh, a soldier from Beit Shemesh who was killed in battle yesterday, Shimon Asulin. He's a son of the of the Rashiva of Yeshiva of Yeshiva Torah, which is a very popular, um, very popular um, Yeshiva Tichonet in Beit Shemesh. My daughter is in the sister school in Gila in the Chativa there. So I never, I don't know him, I don't know his son, but our learning should be as close for for all the chayyim who are who are, on, who are on the front lines now. Um, Good. So our topic today is Don Amal and we'll see at the end, the reason why we're doing it today is because, because there's a tie-in to last week's Parsha, to, Bar- to Parsha's Yisrael. So well, first, let's, first let's get the, the basics down. The Gemara says, This is from Chana, with Gemara learned a lot of Hikosfila from Chana. So Chana tells Eli, I am the woman that was standing together with you. From here we see, you can't sit within four Amos of somebody dominating. So how do you see you can't sit within four hours of somebody davening from this pasuk? She was standing, so, but she was one davening, and she was one standing. So the limud seems to be a little bit backwards. So there's different ways in the Rishonim to go. What, what, what does Rashi say? She was standing. Imcha means he was also standing. So Eli was standing next to her. Why was Eli standing next to her? Because she was davening. From here we see that if you're in the proximity of somebody that's davening, you're not supposed to sit down. So this doesn't mean that if somebody's davening Shimon Esra, you can't sit. It's like a, it's very, very, very impractical for a shul. So the basic, the, 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 uh, the, in terms of halacha lamaisa, before we get to some of the lamdos, if you're davening yourself, we pass again that it's mutter to sit within four hours of somebody davening. So if you come to shul bait and you're in the middle of Bikras Kriyat Shema, and the guy next to you is after Shimon Esra, you're allowed to, you're allowed to sit down. Um, if you are, you know, if you if you are if you're not, if the guy next to you is still is having a very long shmon esrei, and it's already it's already time for tachanon, and you want to say tachanon, you're allowed to sit down because you're involved in davening. But to stam sit down next to somebody who is davening shmon esrei, if they if you're not doing anything productive, like religiously productive, let's say, let's say you're checking your emails, or you're just stam sitting down, stam sitting down to chill out. So that is where the lacha is operative. You're not supposed to sit down um, next to somebody who's davening. Um, the, the only the time this comes up halakha lamaisa is let's say there is the guy in shul that davens a very long shmon esrei Friday night, and all of a sudden it's like time for the announcements, um, and you're you're supposed to sit next to him, so the guy is standing up davening during the announcements like at the end of shul let's say, and your your seat is next to him. So are you allowed to sit down? It's, it's very awkward for you and this guy to be the only two people standing up in the entire shul. So what do you think? Sounds like it should be us, right? It sounds like it should be us, right? If you saw this, you, you got all the way to Shulchan Arach, it sounds like you're not supposed to sit down within four hours of tefillah if you're not doing anything productive. So I can tell you, Mordechai Eliyahu came up with a patent. He said that you could sit down, but you should you should mutter a parakatahelim on your, while you're sitting down. <laughs> then at least, like, you're, like, everybody around you is talking anyway, it's the announcements, and nobody's going to notice that you're the only one talking. But if you're saying a parakatahelim, you're doing something productive, then you're allowed to sit down within four hours of somebody who's davening. But stamkach, if you're just sitting down and, and you're listening to announcements and not doing any, not doing tefillah or Torah, you're really not supposed to sit in the proximity of somebody who's davening Shimon Ezra. People hold that the announcements shall have ever Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> so then, yes, yes, yes. If if it's a if it's a if it's a Torah dick announcement, then it would be okay. Announcing this, announcing a shear, announcing this, announcing that. If it's going through, if the, the person is mumbling the list of uh of the next week, and you, nobody hears them anyway, and you're just, you're just sitting down out of uh, out of nimus, out of out of respect for the or politeness, 
So then this Isser would be operative unless you're mutter a paracatelim while you're sitting down. That, 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 that proves that the whole reason of the Shekhinah is the distraction. Ah, good, good. The guy making the announcements is probably more distracting than the person saying Shemona. Yes. He's sitting quietly next to him. That, that is probably the case. But it's the guy's own fault. He shouldn't have such a long Shemona. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but separate story. separate story. But yes. Maybe in, he came late. In, maybe he came late. Good. In theory, in theory, in, in theory, that would be the case. So, that, so now that we've done with the halakha lamaisa, so let's deal with a little bit of lambdas. What is the nature of the halakha? Where does it come from? And why does it, what does it teach us about tefillah more generally? And what does it teach us about the shechina more generally, as we'll see? Yeah, Josh. Just a question. Is, is there any, uh, is there a factor at all that there's a woman standing and he Fantastic. I did not actually did not see that come up in the Rishonim Rakhonim on this sugya. Maybe if I went hokos mechitza, you would be able, I would be I would see you would see people point out that it seems like you're right. I never I didn't think of that at all. That the men and the women were davening together in the Azara of the Mishkan. He thought, he thought she was drunk, <laughs> right? Maybe. <laughs> but then he heard her davening, so he stood up. So he didn't he didn't sit down, even though he was very old at the time, right? How old was he? He was ninety. Don't 90, we already have it from Yitzchak and Rivka? They're they a married couple. A married couple, I guess, is probably okay. They're, they're a married couple. They're like literally on the other side of the room. But I think that's because they both wanted their own space to dive in. I think that's what the measure says. If, if they're, they're, doing, they're doing different types of tefillos, because they were coming from different places. They each one wanted to dive in, in their own corner. Um, but but yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying, that it sounds like the men and women were intermingling in the Azara of the Mishkan. We learned Mechitza from the Simchat Shoeva in the Azara of the Bishamikdash, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so what is the lumbus behind it? Why can you not sit in proximity of somebody who's davening? So you saw the Meiri. The Meiri seems to have two different approaches. Both of them are very practical, both of them are very pragmatic. So what are the Meiri's two approaches? Again, I could have 10 seconds, 10 seconds of awkward silence, and I'll say, or if you want to say anything to say. So 10 seconds is a long time. There's three seconds of awkward silence. <laughs> um, the the Meiri's first, first approach is that it has to do with Kavana. That if a person is davening, you sit down next to them, and you're checking your email, you're reading a book, they're going to get distracted, and they're not going to be able to daven, to daven properly. And therefore, the Meir says, if you follow that approach, what, what, how do you measure the four amos? In front or to the sides? Because you can see what's in front of you, you have peripheral vision, but you would be able to sit behind somebody who is davening, because the person doesn't, doesn't notice you're there. Then the Meir says, but the Talmud Yashalmi sounds like the Isser even extends to sitting behind somebody who is davening. So why would the Isser extend to... Extend to just to be sitting behind somebody who's davening, you're not being babal their kavan at all. It must be because if you're sitting in proximity of somebody who's davening, maybe you could listen in on their tefillos. We discussed last two weeks ago how how loud your tefillos supposed to be. It's supposed to be mashmiel la'aznav, not mashmiel la'aznav. You're supposed to be able to even hear your own words. But the concern is that if you're sitting before amos behind, within four amos of somebody behind you, with somebody behind somebody who's davening, so then you will be able to listen in on their tefillos, and they might get embarrassed. You might get embarrassed by what they're hearing. How did you how did you read that line? Who's getting, who's getting embarrassed? Is it the no, the no, davener no, no. is getting embarrassed? If we look at the line, it says Shami Yispala Al Tzrakav the Chaviro Shomeo Umizbayish. So who's no, who is the no, subject no, of Mizbayish? Yes, I wasn't sure. Even the guy davening is Mizbayish, but if you're behind him, how does he even know you're there? Maybe you're making a little bit of noise. Maybe you like gasp when you hear the person's chat. I don't know. Um, but or or arguably, maybe if the person listening like feels embarrassed, you're like violating somebody's personal discussion with Hashem when the person is going through all of their all of their personal tefillos. Um, so the Meiri's reasons are very pragmatic, very practical. We've seen this as a line of the Kav throughout the Meiri Shitos through its in general. He's very focused on kavana, very focused on practical, pragmatic concerns. He's not into metaphysics at all. When you move from Provence, from the Meiri, to Spain, 
you get a lot of metaphysical Kabbalistic explanations. The Ra'ah. The Ra'ah was a Talmud of the Ramban, a contemporary of the Rashba. The Ra'ah, how, how does the Ra'ah interpret this Gemara? It's source number three. The Shechina grabs the, um, the four the four arma circumference or radius around the person in every direction. Even the person is, is sitting, is davening when he's sitting next to the person davening Shemana, so you can't do it, because you're sitting literally on the Shechina. You're stepping on God's toes. Note, according to the, according to the Ra'ah, um, where does the Isra extend to? Even behind the person. Because it's not practical about you're your, 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 being available to the person's kavana. It's about you are not showing kavod for the Shechina, but you are sitting where the Shechina is present. So then, if you're standing, you're, there's cover for the shkina there at least. I guess. I, I, I guess yeah, sorry, sorry. Even if you're on your email. Even if you're on, if you're on your if you're standing, and you're on an email that yeah, maybe it's, not, it's probably not the best thing to do, but it doesn't technically violate the salacha. You're right. It's not sitting on. It's not sitting on. It's not stepping on God's toes. Then the issue would apply even if you're standing. It's not showing kavod for the shkina by sitting down in the presence of the shkina. We know in the azara where the shkina is present, there's an isser to sit. Right. The only person who's allowed to sit in the sit in azara is. Melech is Melech and Everybody else has to stand as, as a sign of cover for the Shechina. Interestingly, the, the Ra'as seems to have this as a general shita throughout Masechah's Brachos, that the Shechina is around the person who is davening. One other place where this comes up is a sugya we saw a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think we focus on the Ra'ah. The Gemara in Yavamos, Lachkofeyamabes, deals with where the person's gaze should be when they are davening. So if you look at the Gemara, the Gemara seems to have a contradiction. Are you supposed to be looking down or looking up? And what is the Gemara's resolution? Where are you supposed to be looking? If you look at the last line of source number four, Kat Amar Abba, Hamaspava Tzarek Shiyitin Inav Lamata Vlibo Lamala. Your heart has to be up and your gaze has to be down. So what does this mean? What does it mean your gaze has to be down? So why would you look down at the ground? So Rashi says, what does Inav Lamata mean? Klape Eretz Yisrael. Why is Eretz Yisrael the Mata? It's hard to know. Down the road. It's down the road. It's always down the road. Maybe if you're in Bavel, so you are looking, looking south towards Eretz Yisrael, or you're looking at the ground that's connected to Eretz Yisrael. It's, it's unclear why down is connect, connected to Eretz Yisrael. Rabino Yona says down means visualizing yourself as if you are in the base of Mikdash. He says if libo lamala means thinking of yourself as a disembodied soul, like floating somewhere in the heavens, that's libo lamala. In of the matzah means that you should then come down and visualize yourself as if you are in the base of Mekdash Shalmata. The Rambam says you should look down. Why look down? It's a sign of humility. You're standing in front of God. It's a sign of humility. You have to look down. Look at the Ra'ah. The Ra'ah says, source number five, you have to look down. Hashem says, my eyes and my heart are there for eternity. That is a reference to the base of Mekdash. Perush, the Kaban Shekane, Sarak Litain Ena Bimakom Shamra Shina Litain Enav. The Khain the Kalmakom Shamspalanbo. That we're what is the Pasak, the source of your eyes supposed to be down? Towards the base of Mekdash. Good. That's where Rabbi gets gets his idea from. But you're not davening the base of Mekdash. You're davening in Babel. You're davening in in, you know, in America. You're davening in you're davening in Afrat. So how does looking down connect you, connect to this Pasak about looking at the base of Mekdash? Why, if you're in the base of Mikdash, should you look down? Because what is present in the base of Mikdash? The Shekinah. What is present in the same in the place where you're davening, wherever you happen to be? 
Presumably the Shechina. The Ra'an, yeah, the Ra'an doesn't spell this out, but the, the footnotes in the Ra'ah point out that it sounds like the Ra'ah thinks that this, this is a general theme, that you're supposed to be looking down because the Shechina is present around you. Again, is the Shechina on the floor? Is it, is it eye level? Is it up around you? I don't know. The metaphysics of this, I'm not, I can't get involved with. Again, metaphysics should be discussed with our Shlomo after, after the share. But in terms of the halakhic definition of what we're doing, what's going on over here, the Ra'ah is clear that there, the Shechina is, surrounds you. It permeates the area or in, your, in your proximity. And therefore, you're supposed to look at the ground where you currently are, because that is where the Shechina is right now. Is this Shmon Esrei or anything? This is Shmon Esrei. So isn't that the, the Lachal that you, you're not allowed to like, just stare randomly when you're down in Shmon Esrei because the Shechina is around you? You have to look in your sitter or your eyes closed? So, you're, spo- the same so you're supposed to look... Yeah, this is, this is exactly the Halakha. So the, Mishapur, the, the Shechon Arach points out that if you have a sitter, you can look in your sitter. You don't have to look... Or your eyes have to be closed. Or your eyes have to be closed. Be closed. Like, we're looking around, or at the ground, yeah. So those are the three options, basically, for Shemunas, right? I was telling Rabbi Eli before that the Piske Chuvos, he's a contemporary collection of Chuvos on the relevant to the Simon and Shulchanara, says if you have like a moment of exuberation over spiritual illumination, you're going to like raise up your hands and look up at the heavens. And we're not going to like tell you you can't do that. If you spontaneously, you do it, or you routinely spontaneously do it in the middle, in the middle <laughs> of your There's a lot of that. But, um, but, but the, the Shulchan Araka says that you're supposed to look down at the ground. I think the, the Ramah, the Mishabur, I'm forgetting where it comes in, says that you're supposed to, if you're looking at a sitter, it's fine. If your eyes are closed, it's fine. But the Ramah says it's not, you're supposed to look at the ground in front of you because that's where the Shekhinah is. So how, yeah. how, how do we know that Shekhinah is only Four, uh, why four amos? Because I think I, was, I think four amos in halakha is a person's personal space. That is the sort of halo around the person. How do we get that from? I, I don't know why it's four amos, but let's say in halakos kenyanim, there's a concept of dal amos al kona. If you're walking in a, on, the, on the side of on a sidewalk and there's an aveda four amos away from you, anything within your four amos you could be kona, even without picking it up, because it's in your rishos. No, but my point is, if you know, we say when you damage one esrei, the shkin is around you. So if someone is six amos in front of me. Shekhinah is still present. I know it's present there. So right. why am I allowed to sit? Because you're out of the proximity. You're out of the proximity. But I know the Shekhinah is there. I know the Shekhinah is in the Azara. How could I sit if I'm if I'm on Haraba? Yes, it's it's you're not you're not you're not in proximity. We saw I think it was last year's first or I say Shemikomo the Mishnah Rashi the calculation of terms. Yeah, four amos also not If you if you're outside of your tzum, you have four amos. You have four amos to walk. Yeah, yeah, Rabbi. Some of them, yeah, I, 
there's definitely symbolic significance of, of looking down, that the tefillos are about things of this world, and God willing, we'll get there once we deal with the actual text of Shemones, right? Um, but in Shulchan, I mean, you could, I'm sure there are people who interpret the Gemara metaphorically or allegorically. In Shulchan Arach, it's, like, it's quoted lahalacha. You're supposed to, your posture is supposed to be that your face is no, uh, it's downwards. Because it's real. It's real. On one hand, it's him taking literally, and on the other hand, it's more real than real. More than real. And so when Rashi's talking about Eretz Yisrael, he's also understanding it's not just about the Jewish. There's a whole bigger thing going on here, which is why he can keep, he takes it to that level. Exactly, that level. I hear that? Thank you, Valley. Yeah, Josh, and then we'll go on. Did you learn any halachot from Kazin from how Moshe acted at the Speaking to him from the Senate, and Hashem says, This is holy ground. Now he turns his face. Uh, now he does not look. Good. So, God willing, we'll, we'll, we'll see that. The, the, as far as I'm aware, we don't see actual halakhos from there, but we'll see the phrases from that episode being quoted by Postkim, taking them in different directions. But yes, but it's. it's um, I don't know if it's a source for Hilkos Tvila, but but the poskim use the imagery and the phrases that are there when they're when they're, when they're describing some of the lachos that we actually find in the Gemara. But that's one of the first face-to-face encounters between somebody past the avos and and, uh, and 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 a human being. It wasn't a Tvila, but it, unless you think arguing with God actually is well, Tvila. <laughs> yeah, Shkina was there. Unless you think there. right, unless you right, unless you think arguing with God is part of the Tvila, which, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, for Ellie, don't go on. Ah, so, so I skipped this. I skipped this sugya of, uh, of the Gantan Pratila. Maybe we should do it at some point. The, we, the Rambam actually says that if you're living in a, living in a in a society where it's normal to to meet dignified people with shoes, she's supposed to wear shoes. So you're living living in a society where it's not part of regular dignified dress, like you would go out to meet an Adam Gadol, Adam Chashav, a Melech without shoes, and you know, so then you don't have to wear shoes. Um, there is a the Tashbait says a tshuva. I think the Tashbait lived in Algeria, northern North Africa. Was there was a shul there where they wanted to ban shoes. They wanted to have like a cubby outside the shul. Like everybody has to put their shoes in the cubby before they walk in. Why? Because they're living in a Muslim environment and the Muslims all walk, they dive in barefoot. So like the Jews thought of Klasnesh to dive in, to dive in with shoes on. So the, uh, the Tashbit quotes this Rambam and says that it's that if you're living in a Christian country, he says, by the Nutsrim in Europe, it would be Asr. You would have to dive in with your shoes on. But because we're living among the Muslim men, among, among, among the Bnei Ishmael, Therefore, it's mutzer to daven without shoes. So this takana is technically permissible. And maybe this takana would act, is actually laudable or admirable, but once it's technically permissible, maybe we should act like what they acted in the base of Mekdash, where it was also to wear shoes. So, um, so he, he gives a hetzer, and he gives a stamp of approval for this takana. You have to leave your shoes outside before going to shul. But I think even in Israel, even in Israel, I feel like you know, people at least wear sandals. As in most places. Maybe in some of the farther out places in the, in the Yud of Hashem and people don't wear shoes at all. I think in a, my experience of the Zayats and Efrat that people do wear, do wear footwear, so you'd have to wear footwear. Don't wear socks, but they wear sandals. Right. And I've seen those without anything. Right, so the Khanim is, is a, right. So there's a separate sugya where, you, where you're not supposed to wear official footwear for one of two reasons. But I got along, we'll get, we'll get there when we get there. Um, so let's 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 continue on over here. Let's try to develop this theme more. So we have two two sources now that the Shekhinah is present. At least according to some Rishonim, the Shekhinah is present in a place where you're davening. You're not supposed to sit in the proximity of somebody who's davening and and gazing downwards. The Shibali Haleket, who um, who collects a lot of Ashkenazi and Hagim, he he quotes this idea as well. If you look on the second page, that you you can't sit within within the proximity of somebody who is davening because the Shekhinah is there. 
And he quotes another Gemara as another proof text. Look at the underlying part. It says, Because we're, the person that's happening is a Makam Shkina. Another proof that the Shekhinah is present when somebody is davening is when you, when you, when you stop davening, it's to step back three steps. And you have to give shalom, you have to give shalom some presence that's in front of you. He's quoting a Gemara in Yoma. And the Gemara says, how do you give shalom? Which direction do you bow to first? You bow to your left, which is to the right of some unseen presence in front of you. And then you bow to your right, which is to the left of some unseen presence in front of you. So you see, he says, if you take this imagery literally, it's not just, again, you might interpret this as allegorical, metaphorical, to get you in the right mindset, can make you concentrate more. You say, no, this is literal. There is some metaphysical presence that is standing in front of you that you have to say goodbye to when you finish davening, and you're bowing has to reflect the fact that you're bowing to some unseen to, to some unseen presence. Um, he has another, another proof, another another indication that this, that this, that this is true. Shochanar Harab. Shochanar Harab is the Alter Rebbe of Chabad, who also wrote uh, a, new, a new version of Shochanar. He says he quotes our halakha, verse number seven. You have you can't say within four amos even behind this person is davening. Why? This is a shout out to Josh. The Alter Rebbe of Chabad says, "Anmas Kodesh." It's Anmas Kodesh. Like it says in Simen Sadizayin. What does it say? What does it say in Simen Sadizayin? So I give you source number eight. Simen Sadizayin. It's the assert to spit in the middle of Shmon Esrei. Nowadays we don't we don't spit on a regular basis. Back then you go through go through Gemara, go through Rishon, you go through Shachanara. They were spitting all the time. They they just wanted like to like MLB. Like MLB, exactly. <laughs> They're like chewing the tobacco right right before davening, and they just it's it's like it sounds you get the feel that it's like a very urgent need to spit all the time. Um, they hit their floors, so they were able to to spit onto their floors, or it, it would get it would get dissolved in. Unhealthy, right? Sorry. They consider saliva like if you have. It could be. I'm not sure. Is that it's not the story. Yeah, they consider saliva unhealthy. Like, that's why you have to give a person a waiter is like salivating. You have to give them his because they would consider that as their fascinating. I didn't. Oh, so they have to uh, fill the earth. Ah, it's, it's fascinating. I didn't realize there was there was a, there was a, an assumed medical reason behind it. I just thought it was cultural. Back then, everybody's fat, but I. I it's in the kitchen. It's in the kitchen. Great, fantastic. Probably died too. Um, so so he says, why can't you spit? In one year davening, because the Shekhinah is there and it's not a kavod for the Shekhinah. So now we have four or five different alakos, at least from different sources, that indicate that the Shekhinah is actually present. Good. Let's take a look at the Rambam there. Source number nine. How does the Rambam quote our halacha of Dava Amos Shatzvila? You're not supposed to sit within the four Amos of somebody who's davening. And I think we'll see something interesting and it will, it will open up a broader conversation, which we can have for a couple minutes before, before we break. The Rambam, source number nine, says as follows Tikkun Amokam Ketzad. What is the makom? How do you prepare the makom where you're davening? Yalmod b'makom namok. You're supposed to daven in a low. You're supposed to be in a low location. You're not supposed to be daven. On, not supposed to daven standing on a chair. Viakser panel v'kotel. You're supposed to face the wall. Sarech leftonos leftach halonos upsakim kenegdi yishalayim. Kedi l'smal kenegdi. You're supposed to daven next to a window, as as we saw. Kenegdi yishalayim. V'kovel makom l'tzvila asatami. You're supposed to daven in the same place. V'ina mispal b'chorba. You're not supposed to daven in a, in a, in a ruined building. Look at the last line. You also can't sit within four amos of somebody who is davening. Good. So 
if you want to give a title to this Rambam, what halachos is the Rambam describing? Tikkun And for most of these halachos, for whose benefit is the Tikkun HaMakom? person who's davening. Exactly. Exactly. And, and what does the Rambam throw in at the very end of this halacha? You can't sit in the proximity of somebody who's davening. So, so that sounds like it's somebody else. So again, think we have to go back to the reasons. Why would the Rambam categorize all of them together? It sounds like, according to the Rambam, sitting in for, within, within, within the forearm of somebody's davening is a problem for the davener. That it's a problem with his makom tila. How, why would it be a problem for the davener? According to him, say, go back to the Me'iri. What does the Me'iri say? Why can't you sit within the forearm of somebody's davening? Because it, it's a mevalbalos kamana. A lot of these halachos, if you read the Rambam carefully, is about kamana. Daven next to a window, don't daven in such, such a high place, daven in makom kavua. The Rambam describes all these things as helping your kamana. Similarly, you shouldn't you shouldn't have some anybody sitting within your proximity of your foramos because that's going to hurt your kavana. That this is I there's an article by Reverend Emma Cohen, the Rashiva of O'Neill, who points this out in the Rambam. The Rambam sounds like he interprets the foramos of tefillah not as a makom shchina, not as something metaphysical, but as a kavana issue. Look at source number ten. He's like this fits in with the Rambam's general shita about Judaism, life, and God. Nira shikam b'halachazos Rambam mehistayik mehakderat makom dalamo shemaspalo. Why did the Rambam not want to interpret it like the Gaonim did, like the Ra did? It has to do with Shechina. The Rambam wanted to purify God. The Rambam wanted to make God as incorporeal, incorporeal, incorporeal. Thank you, as as possible. This is not having any, not having not having anybody in the personal space of the Davener helps the Kavana of the Davener. So Rav Ramakohen is like the Rambam didn't want to have God. Present, so to speak, in this world, the same way the capitalists did, and therefore the Rambam saw the Salchat Adamos as a di- practical din, pragmatic din about Kavana and Aspadel, not about the metaphysical presence of the Shkin. What's the problem? We saw we studied for a couple of weeks straight. We studied the halakos of Kavana B'Tzvila, and what did the Rambam say? You're supposed to have Kavana for when you daven. What the Shkin connected? Look at verse number eleven. Kintzan hiya Kavana. You're supposed to free your mind from all their thoughts. You view yourself as if you're standing in front of the Shkina. And therefore you have to sit before davening in order to collect your thoughts. So, and, and if you look at Achronim, look at even like the Musr Svarim, they're talking about how you have to imagine God in front of you when you're davening. They quote this Rambam. The Rambam seems to be the source of when you're davening, you're supposed to be viewing God as God is being present. There's a difference between God actually is present. Ah, exactly, good, exactly, 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 exactly. The Kilo, thank you, Ali, thank you, Josh. This is the key point. How do you know what's the key point? Compare it to source number twelve. Source number twelve is the Rambam about Bittashitiro, about fearing God in the Beis Hamikdash. Lo yakel adam esrosho keneged sharm esrachi shalazara. You shouldn't be lightheaded. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't uh, have a, just have a good time. You shouldn't run around the Azara. You should walk. You should walk gently. You walk. You should walk slowly. And if you view yourself as you view yourself, then you are standing in front of God. So the Rambams are parallel to each other. The formulations are parallel. But what word is he adding in Hilchus that he doesn't have in the base of Mekdash? Ke'ilu. Who makes this deal? Was made by Professor Abraham Feintuch, who teaches in Malay Dumim. I'm forgetting where he teaches, where he's a professor officially. But he's uh, he gives, I think he gives Shirim in Malay Dumim. He has fantastic svarim out on the Rambam. Malay Dumim is like the place to go. I, I feel like for like reads of the Rambam that are super, super, super careful and critical, critical in the good sense. 
but but from supercritical and, and aware of the Rambam's broader viewer, in the sense that they're going to read more Nebuchadnezzar, they're going to read Rambam's Shubos, they're going to read all these things, and read the Rambam in terms of the Rambam's own context, and not necessarily read Achronim into the Rambam. So he points this out. The Rambam was super careful in Mishnah Torah. He Rambam writes that he's super careful in Mishnah Torah. If he says Ke'ilu when you're dominating, and he leaves out the Ke'ilu in the Beis Nektash, that is significant. Why does he leave out the, why does he say Ke'ilu when you're davening? Because Rambam did not think the Shekhinah was there. There's no metaphysical presence in front of you. You have to convince yourself, you're atzmo ke'ilu, you're discussing, you're speaking to God. Where is God? In the base of Mekdash, in the heavens, wherever, read more in book and figure out where God is. But in the base of Mekdash, that is where God says in the Torah, he's actually going to be present. The Shekhinah is going to be present, something's going to be present. And therefore over there, he leaves out the word ke'ilu, even though it is a otherwise in a, almost an exactly parallel formulation. Yeah, we were discussing before, then if you take out the Shina aspect and focus just on whether it is uh, destructive to someone's kavana, right. let's say you know for a fact, with certainty, that it is that it is not destructive, then would, would the halakha be that you could sit, let's say, within two hours or so on? Let's say you're talking about some, you know, some, some gadol or someone who who when he's davening, it doesn't matter what's around him, and you could you could be literally standing on top of that person and you wouldn't even be distracted at all. Would you be able to sit or we say, well, you know, it's Dalai and that's it, even if it's distracted or not? Right, so it's a great question. I can tell you that in the next sugya, which we're not gonna get we're not gonna do, about not walking for um not walking in front of somebody who's davening, there the Baralaka says that if the person has a talus over their eyes, that you could walk for um you could walk in front of them. Why? Because the whole halakha is about distraction, and that there's no distraction that you can't see. He doesn't give it hefter about this halakha, about the Alam Why not? I'm not sure. But if the, that logic that you, the logic you propose, it, it exists literally to see from later in Shachan Arach, and my guess is that it could be transferred to our Sif, but I didn't see it explicitly. So that, that's as much as I could say. The logic is there, the hefter is probably there as well, but I, I didn't, I, I don't have a source to pin it down on. Um, I want, for the next... Right, next five minutes or so, ten minutes or so. We started at forty-five, right? So we forty-five minutes. So we'll give, gives us gives us ten minutes. Um, I want to I want to broaden the conversation a, a little bit um, and talk talk about this notion that we have the Ra'ah, we have Shachanak Rav, we have a bunch of Rishonim and Akharim saying wherever you're davening, that's where Shkina, that's where Shkina is, and there are halakos that make you react to the fact that Shkina is there. And then we have the Rambam teach the Rambam the, the careful reading the Rambam it seems like, and other Rishonim saying no. The Shekhinah is not actually metaphysically present where you're davening. Shekhinah is in heaven. Shekhinah is in the base of Mekhtar. Shekhinah is elsewhere. You have to be, the process of Tefillah is the process of Kavana. You have to be Yira'atzmo Ki'ilu, you are in dialogue with the Shekhinah, but don't think there's actually some type of metaphysical presence that is in the space where you're davening. Yeah, Josh. I think there's a view that here that it's not about the presence of God, it's about how you see it. In the Rambam. The Rambam, I mean, I would, I would assume that he does think that the presence is everywhere, but that you have an inability to see it, so you have to, if you're not in the base of Midlash, you're at the smoke, right? As though, but here it's smoke, you should see yourself that you're in front of God's presence, but God's presence is obviously there. You're the one that's had the issue, not seeing it. You're saying in the base of Midlash, you'll see it much more. In the base But you're still seeing yourself, you're at smoke, it's not about Hashem, you're the one that has to open your eyes more. So it's not a base of Midlash, you have to Imagine, in the basic English, less imagination, but you still have to realize for yourself. Right. Small. 
We are not Shehuo Meish. We are Azmok. I as though, as though, this place is Makom Kadosh. Everywhere you go is Makom Kadosh. You only have to bring Hashem in. It's your, it's not, the Chetza is you, not the Shechina. Shechina is there. Are you saying even elsewhere in the world? Maybe. Everywhere. Maybe. Where is God not? Where is God not? God is not, I don't know. God is everywhere. When the Hasidim said that God is God is present in some way in desks and chairs and sticks and stones, they've only gone and put them here for saying that. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's just an ongoing discussion in Jewish philosophy. The problem says it's in your In your hearts, yeah. I think the, the Rambam, the Rambam is known as the, as the, as the, and you read the Murnavukim is what he does. He tries to separate, make God as transcendent, abstract, mufshat as, as possible. Then he's bothered. You have to, you have to figure out how does Judaism work? Like how, what are you serving? What are you talking to? So the, the Rambam assistants in Murnavukim, how, how you inter, how God interacts with the world, how you interact with God. But the starting point for the Rambam is that there's really an unbridgeable chasm between God and, and the world. Different things like tefillah become much more difficult to explain, which is why a lot of the halachas of tefillah the Rambam explains as having to do with kavana, not about you reacting to the metaphysical presence of God around you. The Meiri also, the Meiri follows the Rambam. Meiri explains a lot of halachas about kavana, and we saw last week, two weeks ago, that the, the Meiri says that the, the Gemara says that the God is present where there's a minion, when there's the field of tzibur. Meiri says, what does that mean? It means when you're davening the tzibur, you're going to be able to have more kavana because you're davening the presence of other people, and if your tefillah is going to be more accepted. Why did you say that? Because he's uncomfortable with saying the Shechina, I guess, I shouldn't, I don't have to put words in the mouth of but it seems like he's uncomfortable saying that God is, the Shechina is more present in a certain location in this world than another location, unless we're talking about the Beis HaMektosh, there we already have Pesukim would say that God is present there. Um, but we're talking about Rishonim that were, that were really tried to uh, to separate, to to purify God, so to speak, from any, 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 from any corporality as much as possible. Um, so, I think this is an ongoing discussion, in, in both in Jewish philosophy, I guess, but more important for us right now in Hilchos Tzvila. We talk about, the word makom appears a lot in Hilchos Tzvila. What is the makom where God is? Is the makom the heavens and the base of Mekdash, or is the makom where you happen to be davening at any given moment? So just to trace these makoros a little bit for the next, for the next five minutes, look at source number, look at source number 15. The... The Mishnah in the beginning of the Tzbarak of Brachos, according to the text that we have in our Mishnayot, says as follows, You're supposed to daven with, you know, with a certain seriousness. They would wait an hour in daven. Why? They would prepare for a daven for an hour, so they were able to direct their hearts and their thoughts to Mako. What, is, what does the word Mako mean in this context? Why, is, why did the Mishnah choose, the, choose to use the word Mako over here? The Tzlach explains, this might be a drasha, this might, this might be a shah in the Mishnah, I don't know. Because makom connotes that God is the makom of the world. So wherever you're davening, makom shall olam is there. God is present. And because God is present wherever you're davening, therefore you have to have a lot of kavana, and therefore you have to daven with a certain sense of seriousness. You look at the underlying part. And therefore if you're davening, God is present, so you have to react and react in a, in a certain way. But... We saw in the Rambam that maybe it's not true. Maybe God's makom is the base of Mekdash or Shemayim, and you have to somehow either connect with the connect with those locations. One of the flashpoints is the pasuk in last week's parsha, source number seventeen, immediately after Har Sinai. Mizbach Adamat Hasuli. Hashem says, "You will make for me a mizbach Adamah. Mizbach to love so I'll sacrifice shalamaka, so I'll sacrifice beraka, and you will offer your sacrifices there." B'cholma kol asher askirat shemi avoid lachaviratika. Wherever I mention my name, I will come and bless you. That is a super cryptic pasuk. What does it mean, wherever I mention my name, I will come and bless you? 
So Chazal take the pasuk in opposite directions. Look at the source number eighteen from the Gemara Brachos Lavav. What is the place where God mentions His names? Wherever you are, if you're Osik Batorah, if you're invoking God's name, the Shekhinah is there. How do you know? You look at other Psukim, you look at other, look at other sources in the Chazal. Where is the Makom where God mentions his name? Only the base of it's not, it's not elsewhere. You see, this word Makom could be interpreted as just the base of Mektash, or it could be expanded to be anywhere. And I think this this has real in a in a broader sense, this has real implications for things such as Zionism, for the return of Am Yisrael to Eretz Israel. Um, there is a there's a fantastic book about Hasidim and Zionism. Hasidim and Zionot. I think it's I think it's by um, can't use me now. It's not Lieberman. Aviazar Avitsky has a great article where he, where he goes he goes through some specific examples. That what did the Hasidim do to the Torah and do to Halakha? There are lots of halakos that seem to be only about Eretz Israel, only about things which only existed in the far off past and will only exist in the in the far off future. If you're reading the Chumash, most a lot of Chumash is irrelevant to somebody living in the 1800s in Estonia and Poland. So how do you make it meaningful? How do you imbue spirituality and meaning in every single passage of Chumash? What do you do? It says Eretz Israel. Eretz Israel is some far off, far off mythical place, mystical place. So what do you do to Eretz Israel? Eretz represents a certain ideal, a certain value. Mochen the Eretz Yisrael, the certain Avodah Hashem of Eretz Yisrael. And you're supposed to try to make these, wherever you are, to tap into the Kalak of Eretz Yisrael. The Beis HaMikdash is also about a mindset of the Karban Olo, Karban Kandaz, it's about a certain type of Avodah Hashem, which you could do right here, right now, in your shtetl, in, 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 in Eastern Europe. So if you have that mindset, that every Pasuk about Eretz Yisrael, Pasuk about Bikurim, Pasuk about Karbanos, you're automatically interpreting at, at a certain level as being about a certain type of Vodas Hashem, a certain type of mindset, which you could tap into right now. So what does that do to actual Pshat and the Pesachim? There is a physical place, which is, has ground, it has a corporeality to it, where people are supposed to live with a, with a country, with an army, with an, with an economy, and they're supposed to do lots of physical stuff in, in this land. So you could say, people understand there are two levels of interpretation. There's a Pshat, and then, and there, and then, there's, and then there's a Drash. So one of the things that are discussed in the academic literature about this is that perhaps the more you over you emphasize and you teach people that these psukim are really about a certain type of Vodos Hashem, so that might eventually de-emphasize the actual physical land, the actual physical location, the actual physical things you're supposed to do, you're supposed to do in the place. So I'm not accusing this of being of being you know, that they're anti-Zionist, they're misinterpreting the Torah. And there are many other reasons why most Hasidic groups were, were not, were, did not jump on the Zionist bandwagon. But one ideological reason is perhaps this. Again, the ba- just to quote an example from the Babish Rebbe. The Babish Rebbe was very into Eretz Israel. He was not a Zionist in the classic sense of the Torah, but he loved Eretz Israel. He said Hasidim's Eretz Israel. He did a lot of stuff for Eretz Israel. But at the same time, he did not start a mass Aliyah movement, and it's very consciously to not start a mass Aliyah movement. He writes about it a lot. One of the reasons is because what is the mission of the last generation of Gullus, which he felt he was in? Look at the, the, this is one source out of hundreds, and then the Rebbe's the Rebbe's the Rebbe's talks. So look at source, look at source 23. This is 1991. Because the Gula hasn't yet come at this moment, and we are here. We are in this place. Where is this place? Brooklyn. We have to use this opportunity to fulfill the instruction. I say, Khan Eretz Israel. 
Make Eretz Yisrael here. This is a phrase from the Tzemach Tzedek. From the third of the third of the Rebbe, the Rebbe Hilomi Patrish, one of the great Chassidim, wanted to make Aliyah. Was thinking about making Aliyah. The Tzemach Tzedek said, "Why do you have to make Aliyah? I say, Man Bach Eretz Yisrael. Make Eretz Yisrael here. Your mission is here in Chutz Eretz. This is your mission." Again, the Rebbe sent a lot of people to Israel. He let people decide sometimes if he wanted to go to Israel or not. It's a little bit more, little bit more, little more, little bit more complicated than this. But you had this notion that the entire world was supposed to be transformed into Eretz Israel. There are sources for this, of course, in Midrashim, in Chazal, in, in, uh, in, in, in Chasidus. But if you have this notion that the Shechina is really everywhere, wherever you're davening, that's where the Shechina is, and you could transform the place where you are by davening, by doing mitzvahs in a certain place, so yeah, so it's gonna that's intention with the actual physical return to the land. Isn't like literally keynotes about how they wanted to make worms or shalayim? Like, so again, so the Rebbe, so the Rebbe said that that's in terms of like if you're, if you're forgetting your shalayim. The Rebbe was very keen. Eretz Israel is a physical geographical place, and the people that live there have an, have a maila over other people. The land is the physical land is a maila over other physical places, spaces. But at the same time, not every Jew has to make aliyah because was a lot of the psukim about Eretz Israel could be fulfilled on some level, even in Chutzaretz, by doing a certain type of Vodos Hashem in, in Chutzaretz. If you contrast that, look at the Rosh Yisraeli. There are tons of passages from Rav Kook. I just happened, I just happened to see this recently. Shal Yisraeli was a, was a, a Talmud of Rav Kook. He was Rashiva, Yeshiva, Yeshiva, Makar Zerav. And he wrote a, he was, wrote a fantastic saver called Eretz Chemda. That's about Hilchos Atulos Baretz. Um, in his instruction, he writes as this. V'zav Aretz Ha'i Tov, She'in Torah Ketar Zaretz Yisrael. The Torah of Eretz Yisrael is the best Torah. Ala Gu'ula, Zutam Yushami. There's a, there's a Zohar that says, the Geula refers to Talmud Yerushalmi, while Timura, what's the Timura? A replacement is Talmud Bavli. What does that mean? He says, what is Talmud Bavli doing? What is Halakha doing? It's Talmud, the Torah of Kotzaretz. It is giving you a Tachlif. You don't have the actual thing that the Chumash says you're supposed to have. You don't have the normal things the nation has. So what do you, what do, you do? You substitute it with Halakha, with a focus on Dal Amosho Halakha, the halakos that, that you're able to do in Kutzaretz, and that keeps that keeps you stable, gives you stability, gives you spiritual meaning wherever you happen to be. Look at look at the look at the underlying part. What does Halotoras Kutzaretz do? He shimshalo karka. It serves as a stable ground underneath you. Kisha karka hamamashi ushma mitachat raglav. When you no longer have real ground underneath you. I'll take the comment in a second. I just want to. Yeah. Sorry. Actually, please go. Ahead. Spatially, yes. And it's from the Gemara itself. It talks about Dan al The Gemara actually uses that term. It says, once the base message is destroyed, that's exactly, I think he quotes that somewhere in his instruction. That's, well, that's all you have. You don't have the physical things that the Torah spoke about, so you have the learning about them. What is Torah Sarat Israel, according to Rishol Yisrael, according to one aspect of it? The Gishazu, this approach to Torah Sarat Israel, it's the last underlying part, in it doesn't, it doesn't possible what other nations have. Physical people in a physical land with a certain sense of earthiness. What is the purpose of the Torah? Not to be some, 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 some type of theoretical study, but to be a, but to guide you with how to be goel, how to do all the regular physical stuff properly. Because where is the Kedusha really? In the earth of Eretz Israel, in the physical proximity of Eretz Israel, in the Bismekdash. So these two notions of wherever you're davening, the Shekhinah is. The Shekhinah is Malkar Eretz Kavodo. The Shekhinah is everywhere. You can tap into it anywhere. And there are real halakos that, that reflect that. It's not necessarily intention with you know, a certain earthiness of the Kedusha of Eretz Israel. But I think Big Gatol, you could, you could see two very, very broad mindsets. The Shekhinah is everywhere. 
Um, and therefore, you can tap into the Shekhinah wherever you are. Wherever you're davening is, is, is the makum where the Shekhinah happens to be at that, get, at that given moment, for you at least, to, 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 to reflect Josh's comments. But there's another approach that says, no, where is the makum where the Shekhinah is? Besamekdash, Eretz Israel, Shemayim. Not necessarily everywhere in the world to the same degree. And therefore, you want to tap into, tap into that Shekhinah, tap into that makum, what do you have to do? Daven towards Eretz Israel, daven towards the Besamekdash, get dirty with the Karka of Eretz Israel, go to Harabayas, that is where the Kedusha is. It's not necessarily to the same extent a local Eretz Kavodo. Again, these ideas aren't contradictory, but I think they're a little bit uh, in tension with each other, and you could, you could trace the, 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 broad, the, 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 broad, the broad strokes. You start off with a small detail of Alakha, not sitting within four hours of somebody's happening, and you could see, once you broaden the concentric circles, what types of ideas we could we can end up discussing. Where is the Shekhinah in this world? Um, thank you so much. I am one minute over my 45-minute my 45 45 minute limit, so I will I'll stop over here. Thank you so much.